I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. And thank you for joining us. It's this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum, and I'm your host, Rebecca Cressman. I am so pleased to be joined today by Richard Paul Evans. Uh, yes, we'll say he's a, an award-winning author, New York Times bestseller, but what he does is actually write about the stories of our lives. And he has started a new Christmas collection, The Noel, Noel Diary. Noel. <laughs> <laughs> we had a little talk before the studio. I had a friend saying, it's Noel, not Noel, but it is The Noel Diary. Noel Diary. Tell me a bit about this, because you said the the plot and the story of this book is quite evocative. This is the, the most autobiographical of anything I've written. And for that reason, when I wrote it, I thought, oh, this bombs. This book's going to bomb. It's, it is too too hard in some ways to you read. You mean hitting too many per, deep personal exactly. issues? Yeah. In fact, I gave the book to someone. I said, just read the first six pages. I looked over. She was crying already. Oh, wow. And, and I said, the sad part is that part's true. In fact, when I when I gave it to my wife, I happened to walk in just as she had about 10 minutes after she finished the book and she was in bed and she looked up, she had tears just rolling down her eyes. She goes, I have a new favorite of all your books. I go, really? And she goes, I'm so sorry this happened to you. Said, I'm so sorry. And then the next day she said, that must have been hard to write. Is it, is it um, helpful or is it hurtful? And I said, it's helpful. You know, just like when I came out in uh, the Michael Vay series and with having Tourette syndrome, it's like it helps be understood. You know, I think that's why we write books are to connect. And so, I think um, when I handed this out, I thought, you know, will people relate? The more personal, the more worried I get about a book, which I shouldn't, because like the Christmas box was incredibly personal and it sold eight million copies. So, um, I started to hand it out, and then the responses start coming in, and wow, they were just really really visceral. Um, I want to talk a bit about uh, what you talk about and write about in the story, because at first when I'm hearing the Noel diary and you say by about page six, you're already in the middle of a very emotional, difficult scene. That is hard to start a book that way, even as a writer to dive right in and into your life. So, well, and it, 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 I think it's a nice setup. You, as an author, I hope people are engaged immediately. I want them by the second paragraph to not be able to put the book down, and especially as one with um, attention deficit disorder, it's like I. But that's the truth. When I open a book I, I at a bookstore, like, yeah. if it sweeps me in by the third or fourth sentence, I am hooked, and there's no nothing done for days until that story is now a part well, of mine. You know, that's that's what mm-hmm. you want. The worst thing you can hear is, "Oh yeah, I read I read half your book." That's like saying I I bit into an apple and got half a worm. Sure. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like. No, that's not. That's not. Well, good. I appreciate you um, opening up, and, and you, as you mentioned, your very first book was very personal. And yet, those of us who've read your books and have uh, talked with you over the years, we know that you always weave in uh, a bit of your life. But this one, this one, a, a this lot. Is, and, so and, tell and, us and some, about it. Some things I, you know, I wouldn't normally share. Uh, Noel Diary is about a best-selling author. And he's doing very well, but he had a very hard childhood. And at the age of 16, he was kicked out of his home by his mentally ill mother. And 
he left Utah and he'd never go back. He never wanted to go back. He went and he became a best-selling author and became very famous. And but he wouldn't go back to Utah, even if he was offered speaking fees or book signings. He just wouldn't go. And and then um, at the beginning of the book, it starts with he he gets a phone call from a lawyer who says your mother's died. He's actually calling. He, he assumes he knows his mother died. He didn't know this. He goes, "I'm I'm just calling. I'm the executor of her will, and she's left you her home." And uh, is the home he, in Utah? He goes in, is in Utah, yeah, where he grew up and where a lot of um, difficult things, a lot of abuse happened. And and he said, um, "My mother's dead." He goes, "I'm sorry. I, I assumed you knew." He goes, "No." And he decides he's going to go back to the home because he, he's. Because when you have a broken childhood, you want to figure it out. So he goes back to the home and finds that uh, his mother's become a hoarder. So the house is just filled with things. And he just starts going through this clutter and just – it's like an archaeologist trying to figure out what happened back then. And what he's really looking for is why wasn't he worthy of love? And that's, that, I think that's the core of the book. But while he's there um, – and going through all this, a woman shows up. And this is true. This actually happened in our life. Um, a woman shows up looking for someone, looking for her mother. Now, I growing up, I, I would have these glimpses of a woman who I don't know who it is. And so, in fact, if you don't mind, let me, oh, I'd like I to love read it. just the first paragraph. I'd love you to read the entire book right <laughs> now. I'm hooked. More than once in the hazy dreamscape between slumber and consciousness, I've had a vision of a young woman with long black hair that glistens in the sun like obsidian. In this dream, I am small next to her, and she is holding me close to her breast, singing to me, looking lovingly into my face with her soft almond-shaped eyes. It's always the same young woman I see. I don't know why, who she is or why she haunts the passages of my consciousness. I don't even know if she's real, but she feels real, and something inside me longs for her. Whoever she is, she loves me, or she did, and I love her. This is the story of how I found that woman and on the journey found love. This is true for me. Um, I, I had glimpses of a, a woman and I, and I didn't know if I was making her up. But like I just through your childhood? Through you, my you, childhood. It's like I would just, yeah, I would have these, um, these little visions and little flashes and dreams. And, and it wasn't until I was 40 that I started to put things together. And my mother was um, remarkably depressed, suicidal depressed. It was, it was very hard. And, um, but she, she had postpartum depression after I was born in a very severe way that she was hospitalized. And I suddenly started putting the pieces together. It's like, wait a second, eight kids or seven kids at the time and no mother. It's like, who took care of me? And so I had this horrible conversation with my dad. I said, dad, who who was taking care of me at this time? I was a baby. And he said, oh, we always loved you. That's not the question that you I, asked. I said, that's a horrible answer, Dad. That's actually an awful thing to say. We always loved you. It's like, yeah, I'm, yeah, okay, so who took care of me? And then he said, well, you know I had nothing to do with the kids. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm painfully aware of that, Dad. <laughs> it's like, who took care of me? And he was quiet for a moment. Then he said, Pam. I said, who's Pam? He said, she was an unwed mother who lived with us, an unwed teen mother who lived with us at that time. My dad was a social worker, and back in those days when a girl got pregnant, everyone was – she was such a shame that they would just throw her to other cities, and they didn't want anyone to see her pregnant. They wanted to just cover it up. She'd find housing and so, in another state. Exactly. Yes. And so she was living with with us. And um, all of a sudden, it's like, 
I had this flood of memories. It's like, I remember Pam. I just, I, and it was really powerful. Well, just before my father died, this woman who was about my age shows up at, shows up at his house and, and said, did you back in the sixties have an unwed mother living, teen mother living with you? He said, yes. And she said, I'm the baby. I'm looking for her. And it's like, what a fascinating story. I mean, and the fact that we're both want to know who this woman is, it's because all of us on some level are looking for who we are. We're trying to uncover our, our own roots. We're all psychological archaeologists, everyone, I believe. That's, I think that's why we do genealogy. Genealogy. I think we, we're going back trying to say where we came from. We're trying to figure ourselves out. And so this is, on this level, this book is true. And, and so it, you know, it's a very personal, very, I think a very powerful message about acceptance and about who we are and, and to stop denying who we are. And so it's also a love story. You know, it's these two people looking for the same person and, and, and in the process they find love. For those who just joined us, it's Richard Paul Levins, yes, New York Times bestselling author. And we're talking about a new book. It's called The Noel Diary. It's a new Christmas collection. And this book is a love story, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. but it is of a different venue or a different love rather than just romantic love. Exactly. It's. I, I think I ask what I'm finding from the advanced readers is that I'm asking questions that they had hidden inside, you know, things that that everyone can relate to and address. Um, my goal with the book, the best thing that I can hear is that I feel like you wrote that book just for me. You know, that's when you know you hit it. If someone tells me, oh, your book was really good. It was well-written. It's like the worst thing I can hear. What I want to hear is, is um, I know I hit them when they say, oh, my goodness, that's exactly what I've been thinking and wondering and hoping. And and, um, and sometimes for, and again, you know that I'm an avid reader, Sometimes I want to understand someone else. And and so I may not see all of myself in another story, but by reading someone else's story and about their experiences and how they felt, I in my mind, I grow uh, more compassionate, more understanding of the world around me, which is what we want. We want to know more about exactly. ourselves, but about others as well. The Noel Diary, um, how long have you been writing, Richard? Well, I've been writing since I was a teenager, but... Um, Why wait on this story? I mean, this to me, when I'm hearing the story of what you went through, it seems to me that this is such a compelling story that it would have been the story that you were eager to tell or, or did it need to come at a certain no, time it, in your life. No, I wasn't ready. Um, okay. In fact, it wasn't until I was um, about, it was about 10 years ago that I even knew, that I even had any of these clues. And so, but this okay. is... I couldn't have written this before. And even when it started coming to me, I'm thinking, why am I doing this? Why would I write this? But everything I write is personal. And uh, like, for instance, I wrote a blog called How I Saved My Marriage. I loved it. Went and, viral. Yeah, sure. Went viral. Had more than, I guess, I'm guessing about 150 million readers. And we all blog. identified and, again with that and blog. And my wife absolutely hated it. <laughs> you know, she's like, she's like, don't spill our beans. Oh, my goodness. It's like finally after um, our third fight with this about a blog about saving our marriage, I finally said, is there anything in here that's not true? And she said, that's the problem. It's all true. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, I have to write truth. But isn't it lovely, yeah, though, as to. humans, when we can read truth and share truth and, yeah. and see ourselves in that truth? Uh, give me the name of the blog again, How I Saved My How Marriage. How I Saved My because Marriage. Because if you haven't, if you're one of the rare individuals out of the millions who saw it, this will make you think, and it could possibly, I'll say this, change the nature of your relationship 
right now I mean, because I've, I've, man, I've heard of scores of marriages that were saved because I had people stop me all around the country to say, you know, we're together because of that blog. In the Noel Diary, um, you talk about how you, as a teenager, um, left home or were kicked out. That you know that part mm-hmm. that part's not true. Okay. Um, it was you know up to this point, I think I've been kind of chipping at it. My book, um, Grace which is a really popular book. Um, I talk about living in this home. It's the same home. I, I have this vision of this home. The turning point in my life was when I was nine years old. When I was nine, my father um, was fired from his job. And at, at that point, we had been doing really well. He, had, we, he worked in Beverly Hills, and, and, and he worked with um, what they called back then convalescent centers, right? And he was making a lot of money. I mean, we got a pet monkey for one Christmas, and um, That's perspective, yeah, we, we right there. Beautiful, sure. Yeah, beautiful home near Pasadena with a swimming pool and just everything. And and then we lost everything. He ended up after no work for a year going up to Pocatello, Idaho, and teaching school. Wow, what a change! And we had to split the family up with with ten of us. And so I went with my mother. And it was a time of we'd stay back to try to sell the house. And we moved into when we moved to Utah. They decided they didn't want to raise me and raise us in Pocatello, uh, thankfully. And when we got to Salt Lake, we moved into my grandmother's home. She had died four years earlier, and that this old home had sat empty for four years. And it was, it was awful. It was so rat-infested um, at night. It was loud, the rats running around, and you could just hear them every night. And that's why in Michael Vay, my Michael Vay series, they feed people to rats. I was like, man, this was I know like, what that feels like. There's like formative years. There are rats everywhere. I, I, and, and the movie Willard had just come out. So I was sure the rats would eat me. Of course, older brothers told me the rats would eat me if I got out of bed. And, and so anyway, it was a terrible time. We lived – it was an inner city school. Um, went there. I got beaten up three times. We got – it was the weirdest – Thing. Such like a rough lot. transition. And sure. my parents were kind of checked out. It was it was strange. My mother was, was struggling with mental illness again. My dad was trying to find, make money, trying to survive. So we we kids lived on our own, and so they you know they didn't know we get beaten up. But one day I just just didn't go to school. She wouldn't even. My mom wouldn't know. And it was it was it was a horrible time of life. I had a really nasty school teacher who was just an awful woman, just awful. It's like she was a dream crusher. You know, and she loved to humiliate kids. It was just like it all came together in this awful way. And I just hated Utah. Just hated being here. It's like my life was had just gotten as low as I could imagine it could be. And your child. My, yeah. And I'm just I'm a, I'm nine year old and that's also the time my Tretz uh, manifested. So I have these horrible tics. I feel like I'm a freak and there's no one around, no one talking about it. I mean, to talk to me or to help and so um this was that house is just it it has so many memories, so I put it in a few books, and that's the house in this book. I describe it. I describe the neighborhood. It's like everyone was just mean. It's just you walk down the street, and people would yell at you. It's just it, it was like living in a slum almost without all the guns, right? But right, the, but it also but, tells but us a how a violence. child feels when he's in or she's in this type of environment that she can't protect herself, she can't control, and 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 the whole world. Is magnified the negativity, the meanness, the vulnerability of you as a child. Exactly, oh. and so, and it was also while I was there that my brother um, climbed a tree and was electrocuted. We were I was climbing with him, and he grabbed a, a, a line, and and so that's that feeds in the book. So there's so many, so much of this is true. Um, the first part of the book is something that's heart wrenching, and it starts with this 
reporter from USA Today who wants to do a holiday roundup edition, right? And I've done a dozen of these right, sure. over the years. And um, he asked, she asks the, um, the author, it's like, do you have any Christmas memories, anything, a Christmas you, that's really special? He goes, define special. It's like something you'll never forget. He goes, oh, yeah, I have one of those. And it's like, well, tell me about it. He goes, no, you don't want to hear it. Trust me. No, no, that's what I'm trying. I'm going for. I want this memory. Just, he goes, okay. So um, it was a year after my brother died, and my father had left left us, and I was in the house with my mother, and it was, it was late afternoon. I was playing with the toys. They were all around me on the floor, and she came in, and she had this face. She looked different. She was apoplectic. I could tell the demon had taken my mother. She came in. She saw the stuff on the ground, and she starts screaming at me for making a mess. Then she made me go get a big wooden spoon, and she pulled down my pants, and she beat me with it till she broke the spoon. Then she packed a suitcase, and she walked me out to the side of the road and said, go find somewhere else to live. And so I was eight years old standing there with a suitcase for three hours on the side of the road, not sure where I was supposed to go and how this worked, if someone would pick me up. or. And finally, after three hours, I was cold, and I was hungry, and I was scared. And I walked back to the house and knocked on the door, and after five minutes, my mother came. And she just looked at me. I said, if I'm good, can I live here still? And she just turned and walked away. And um, I took that as a yes. So I went inside and I crawled into the bed and went to sleep. Well, that's hard to hear, by that, the way. That's <clears throat> actually, it's actually true. And um, it actually, I, I've, I changed some of the facts. It was actually two different incidences and I wasn't alone. I'll never forget my little brother looking at me and saying, Rick, where are we going to live? And um, you understand, I love my mother. I love her deeply, and we're very close. But the demon of mental illness um, caused a very traumatic childhood, and from untreated, yeah, and not not understanding that. So she engages us in her suicide plans on a regular basis. Three times she tried to commit suicide with me. Um, these things mess up your your brain, where you're from, and the thing is, you don't know until you're older that you're actually traumatized. It's it's not. I remember I actually went to a counselor and he said something. I said I, I I told him I said I never thought I would live very long. I didn't think I've never thought I would live past fifty. And he goes, I'm not surprised. I go, Why? He goes because that's that's actually very very common for people for people who come from a traumatic childhood. And I looked at him. I said I had a traumatic childhood. And he actually broke out laughing. He goes, Oh yeah, Rick, you had a very traumatic childhood. He goes. It's like he was like stunned, like you didn't put this together. But, but that's all you knew. But that's all you know. You just sure. like, yeah, it's just, it, that just happens. And you know, I would just remember when that when the demon would come. I just remember my brother being beaten until he passed out, and it's just like it was just a sense of um, we have no place. We don't really matter, you know. And I, I look back, and then there's also that time I'm trying to keep my mother alive. So there's a scene in there where he would lay in a bed and he would take a pencil and and put two toothpicks on it and put tape around it and then tickle her back or her legs with that because he liked that and it would make her happy. I would do that for like hours. I would lay next to her in the dark and just tickle her. And at those times, she would say sweet things to me and it's like I was craving this Whatever walk. took. Yeah. And it's a it's a bad way to live. I mean, you you, you get to that point in life when you when you realize that if love costs as much, it's not worth the cost. You can't buy love. You you can't you can't earn love. And sometimes people even take that into their belief with God, and it becomes it, it distorts everything. And you have but to. But if get you're that just po- good you, enough, you, if yeah, you, it's, it's you like think- if I can just do a little bit more, if I can do this, God might accept me. And I hear people talk about their God that way. And it's like stop. It's this condition. Conditional love is not love. 
It's wage. It's like, really, are you, this is wages. There is no grace and earning. You can't have it both ways. Grace is grace because it can't be earned. And so this is true in this life. It's true, I believe, in the next life. It's like we need to understand what grace really is. So I guess in a sense this book really is about grace and about someone saying, I will never earn love again. You Never. I would rather live a loveless life than, than, than this fake version of love. Because my experience was so complicated. Yeah. It's called The Noel Diary, and this is Richard Paul Evans. It is the beginning of a new Christmas collection, which tells me there will be future stories. Right. I, tell me about that, because you've now opened... It's not Pandora's box. It's actually your life <laughs> I, to us. Well, I don't know if the next book will have anything to do with it because it's okay. a collection. I and I, frankly, I don't want to go back mm-hmm. there. I I did it. I wrote it, and um, I did three years ago, four years ago. I was thinking this country is really sad, and I thought I should write a happy Christmas love story, and that was the Noel. Uh, that was the Mistletoe Promise. And it was an extremely successful book. It was made into a Hallmark special. It was the number two most watched uh, Christmas movie of the year. And then the next one, they liked it so much that they picked up the next one, Mistletoe Inn, which will come out this year on Thanksgiving Day. Now, is that the one that is set in Heber area? That's the third one. Oh, that's, that's the third, third one. Okay. Yeah, so the movie's coming the, out. Yeah, this soon. one's a bust. So the, okay. so the television movie's coming out on Hallmark on Thanksgiving. And last, last year we were number two and we had – Horrible placement. It ran November 4th, which would be like two days from now, right? Right. Yeah. So this year it's on Thanksgiving. So, um, yeah, we're hoping it, it will really. On the Hallmark yeah, Channel. On the Hallmark Channel. Okay. We had, I mean, it was approaching Games of Thrones in terms of viewership. It was huge. So, um, so Mistletoe Inn comes out. Well, the producer who did that read Noel Diary and he goes, This is spectacular. He told my agent, This is spectacular. I, I definitely want to produce this. But so I did that first three series. They did very well. And I thought, you know, I. I think we'll go back and do another series. I mean, so the mistletoe, and this will be the Noel, and and so they're they're love stories. And just spoiler alert, but Noel Diary has it does have a happy ending. I, I because the book is about hope. It's about hope and grace, and um, that's you know we don't need sad. You know, <laughs> but you know what though, and you've teased a bit and shared so much, and and I appreciate that. And and if you're listening in your car, you're at work, you're at home. And uh, you teared up. That's that's just actually beautiful. That's what stories do to us, and and uh, it's um, indicative of who you are as a writer uh, to share that story, uh, those stories with us. Um, but you've left me hanging at the moment where Pam and you are in Grandma's house, both looking for the stories of their childhood and their mothers, and that's where I'm curious. To, to see that love story because, to me, a child always has an unquenchable, an unquenchable desire to be loved by his or her parent, no matter how functional or dysfunctional, healthy or unhealthy they are. It is just within us. So that hunger and that thirst to see those two stories collide just captures us. And so the happy ending will have something to do with those two. Are you going to well, tell me that at least? Well, I can tell you those, those two. And by the way, we're... With working with the Christmas box house, we've had tens of thousands of abused children. These kids are very, in most cases, are very protective of their parents. So what you're saying is absolutely right. Even even where they're abused, it's like they want that love so much that they'll just. It's almost like you throw a rock at a dog and then he comes up to you and licks you. You know that's and that really describes me. I think. I mean, that's that's how my personality was. And, and it's healthy to set boundaries, <laughs> you know, and that's what we have to learn. 
for your life. But yeah, he, he is going through the house when a woman shows up. And it turns out they're looking for the same thing. And they found this, they, they find this diary and they realize she doesn't know her mother's name. And this guy doesn't know the woman, the young woman's name. Her name is Noelle. And they find this diary that was left in the house. And they start reading about her experience, what she went through as an unwed teen mother. And the diary entries actually kind of, they make me tear up. And I'm going through it thinking, what, I'm, I'm reading part of it the other day. And it's like, where did this come from? I don't even remember writing it. And so um, you're following her life. So you're following these different lives. But you have these two people who are looking for Noel. And in the process, like they're both looking for the same thing. They're looking for love. And so if they're able to find it in each other, it would be a, would be a good thing. We'll leave it at that. Thank you. That's actually very, that is perfect. It's the Noel Diary. Tell me a little bit about its release and where we can find it. It will, it will be everywhere. It comes out November 7th. It's already been a number one bestseller on Barnes & Noble. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, it's, I'm, just, I'm, I'm actually very, very excited about the release of this book. Can I ask? If, oh, go ahead. No, yeah. Is the book on tape out yet then? Um, yes, I read the book. Okay, good. Did I, I mean, read there, the book? There are a lot. Yes, <laughs> I look at Diane. It's like, oh, my goodness, is that scary? I can't remember if I read it. Yes. Actually, it, actually, it was good. I read the book. I was in the studio working with a producer in New York, and I read the book, and I thought, Wow, this is a really good book, and it was, it was good for me to do that because I, I wrote the book so quickly. You were able to and, see how under yeah. such kind of duress in a way, because I was way behind on the book. I just finished the Michael Vay series. I was in Michael Vay tour mode, and I'm writing this really intense book. And so it's like, well, I hope it's good. <laughs> and so when I actually got to read the book, I go, oh, that's better than I remembered. I interrupted. You said you're excited about this release because because. I love the stories, and this is some. Sometimes it is like, wow, that was a really fun book, and I liked it. But this one, just from the first six people who read the book, have shared such personal stories, and it made a difference in their lives. That makes me just really excited to see what this little book can do. I love it. The Noel Diary. Watch for it coming up in just a couple of days. Richard Paul Evans, thank you so much for joining us on this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. Always my pleasure. Thank you.